So um, it's that time of year again, isn't it, where um, uh, people make New Year's resolutions. Uh, I don't know, you may have made some yourself. Uh, a time of desiring and seeking change. A new year opens up before us and there's all, all sorts of hopes uh, and desires and things that we might have for the new year. And it's helpful to have those moments in time where we take stock and we reflect and, and, and indeed make change in life. I guess with New Year's resolutions, they always look within self, don't they? They look to me to uh, seek to have the strength and the resolve and the discipline to deliver on change. And for me, I gave up on New Year's resolutions quite a long time ago because I found that I was not reliable in delivering on those things. An alternative that people sometimes look to rather than New Year's resolutions in seeking uh, change is something called manifesting. It's promoted by celebs nowadays like uh, Oprah Winfrey and the YouTuber Jake Paul. Uh, and manifesting um, is quite an interesting idea. And I was just I was doing some research on it, and uh, we've got some quotes that kind of help explain what it is. Manifesting is making everything you want to feel and experience a reality via your thoughts, actions, beliefs, and emotions. Manifestation is bringing something tangible into your life through attraction and belief. That is, if you think it, it will come. You need to ask the universe what you want. This can be done in a variety of ways. Prayer, meditation, visualization, speaking your intentions out loud, a vision board, and or a future box, which is a container full of pictures of items you want to manifest. But you need to say exactly what you want. Or the last quote, manifesting is also known as co-creating. Because it's a collaboration between you and the universe. So here it seems it's a bit different. Here it is, the hope and power for change is less in me and more in this kind of mystical idea of the, the, the good-natured universe out there. And it's all very hopeful, it's all very positive thinking, but there's still the question is, does it have real power to change me? Does it have real power to change the world? And I think the Christian answer to that is, is no, it doesn't. There is real lasting power um, for change, but it's not found in striving and seeking change through either New Year's resolutions in yourself or manifesting out to the universe or the future we want. The power of our mind and our resolve is limited. The universe doesn't have a moral power that can help us. is isn't a moral power. But... For the Christian, there is something for this kind of power for change in the Christian life. And it's this super simple thing. It can happen anytime, any place, by any person. And yet, so often, it's the last thing that we do, the last thing we turn to. And you've guessed it, it's prayer. Over this half term, the next seven weeks, we're dwelling on the Lord's Prayer together. And this prayer is this model prayer that Jesus used to teach his followers and friends how to pray. Uh, and it is part of him teaching them in this sermon, teaching them the way and the lifestyle, teaching us the way and the lifestyle of his kingdom. And so this prayer is part of what we uh, can be and what we can become in him. So the Lord's Prayer isn't first and foremost. Johnny said, you know, we kind of, in this country, often say it in school assemblies and, 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 and you know, places like that. It's not this mantra or this formula that we uh, are to recite. It's not this magical kind of, these magical words that we say and something magical happens. It's not a superstition that we just repeat day by day to offer protection or blessing. No, this is more a form, a guide for navigating a relationship with God. 
And so the Lord's Prayer is about change. It's about changing us, and it's about changing the world. We're going to see that it has basically six requests that we make of God for things to change. But that's not where we start with the Lord's Prayer. We start uh, before anything else, seeing that it is a gift and an invitation to us. It's not about striving. It's not about anything that, that we do. It's not tapping into some force out there, but it's instead resting and receiving with our heavenly and in our heavenly Father. See, the way that Jesus teaches his people to pray is wildly contrasting to what you see elsewhere in the world. Both today and at the time he, he, was, uh, he was teaching, there were these examples kicking around of prayer at his time. And there's examples of our modern prayers and things like New Year's Resolution and Manifesting, among others. And generally, they're quite impressive. They're quite showy. They, they often have full of great ideas and, and, and often very impressive words. And yet Jesus teaches us to pray, and it's simple, and it's basic, and it's childlike, and yet it's profound, and it's deep. And so the way of prayer is Jesus teaches that even the smallest child can, can learn this, this way of prayer and relating to God, and yet the oldest and the most mature saint can never exhaust or fully grasp its depths. So as, as we as we begin to dwell on the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be quite slow and kind of reflective as, as, as we work through it these seven weeks, we're going to today start by considering what I think is the USP, the unique selling point of Christian prayer. And, and therefore the USP of, of, of being Christians and being children who pray. And so we're going to think through that together. I'm, I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer for us. But before I do that, I just want us to have a moment of quiet, or as quiet as it can be for each of us in our own heart and mind just to acknowledge God's presence with us as a father at the start of this new year and just take a moment to think through our situation, our context of our life, the quietness of our heart, just acknowledge that and then I'll read from Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer in a moment. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So today we're just thinking about that first line of this prayer, our Father in heaven. And, and really it's, it's two things, isn't it? It's firstly, our Father, that God is both personal and present. You see, this idea of God as our Father, we get so familiar and used to this reality that, that we kind of 
we miss how incredible this is. Jesus here, as he teaches uh, these people to pray, he's introducing this revolutionary new way of thinking about and relating to God. The Jewish people he's teaching, um, they, um, he's teaching how to pray, were very familiar with the greatness of God. I'm very familiar with how mighty God is and how different and how other to us God is. They're very familiar with how it isn't easy for people to be in a relationship with this great God as as creatures and him as the creator. And and, and this was just obvious to them in the whole of their their religious and their cultural life. They had these customs that allowed them to come and draw near to God and yet at the same time taught them that it wasn't straightforward for a creature to draw into the presence of God the living God, and to be in a relationship with their creator. And so whenever anyone, before Jesus came, had, had if you like, an unguarded moment with God, an unguarded encounter with God, it led them to great fear and trembling. So God's people loved God, but they also had a great sense of awe and fear before him. They were very aware, God is in heaven, and here am I on earth, so I'll let my words be few. In fact, one way that this looked like was that before Jesus came, God's people wouldn't even speak or write God's covenant name. For fear that, it may, that they may in a moment just speak God's name and, and do so lightheartedly or, 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 or disrespectfully and, and disrespect the holiness of God's name. And so they, they found ways to refer to God that didn't actually involve using and, and referring directly to the name he had revealed himself to be. And, and so if that's your experience of how you relate to God and how you know God as his people, and Jesus rocks up and he says, listen, this is how you to pray to God. Abba, Father. You're to relate to God as a young child. That's the name that a young Jewish child would have for, for, for their daddy. The way a child would come and say, Abba, Daddy, with all of the affection and the intimacy and, and the warmth Well, to those who are hearing, this is something from out of another world. In actual fact, when you step back and think about it, it is not something that we would ever dare to dream up or think up ourselves, that the God of all things might be our personal father. Whatever religion, whatever belief system dares to describe the relationship between people and God in this way, none does. How could the relationship between the creator of all things and a creature ever be like this. Well, Jesus does something new and he makes a way. In fact, this is so cool. If you want to get Christianity, you want to grasp hold of what it is, you've got to get hold of this in your heart and in your mind, that through Christ, you get to be a child of God. That God is your heavenly Father. That is something that's to excite and to renew our soul. The Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. This is something different. This is something unique. This is something amazing. And you see, we've got to start here with Christian prayer because so often it's a word that makes us break out in nervous sweats or, or kind of guilty, guiltiness and, and, and maybe even boredom. And we've got all of these associations that come with that word. See, we have this funny relationship with something that is actually such a great gift. 
We think, well, firstly, prayer is something I've got to do to impress or to please God or to impress others or, or to make myself feel spiritually okay, like I'm doing all right. And so we rehearse what we're going to say before we say it so we don't sound silly or, or accidentally drop a heresy or, or we give the impression to others that we pray more than we do or we say we'll pray for people and we rarely get around to doing it. All in various ways, we are, we are weak and we are needy in prayer. We all lack the discipline in various ways to do it by ourselves. We all find it hard to commit to doing it together with other Christians. We have a sense it should be a great privilege. And yet, so often it feels like a great chore. Listen, if that's where we start in our heart and our mind, then we've got the wrong end of the stick altogether. When Jesus teaches us the way of prayer, it's an invitation to an experience of a living relationship with God. Our Father. It's basically having a chat with your dad. The God who is personal and who is present with you. In fact, this invitation from God to pray is him initiating a conversation with us. It's God picking up the phone and dialing your number. A father who delights to hear from his children, who wants us to rest in his presence a moment to bring our heart and our concerns before him. So when Jesus talks to us about prayer, there's no sense of guilt. There's no sense of condemnation. There's no sense of nervous energy. There's no desire to call us to a task that is hard for us. There's no sense of disappointment with us. There's nothing, in fact, that we should do. Just something that we get to do. It's an invitation and it's a gift. That's why feeling weak in prayer, I don't think, is the enemy to prayer. It's kind of the point. That ongoing experience of weakness. Because no Christian ever graduates from humble and dependent prayer. But as you grow up spiritually, you just become more dependent on God. More reliant on him. And so the most mature person spiritually is the most childlike before God. Seeking the love and care of a good heavenly father. That's a good place to be. This is where prayer starts. This is what prayer is. It's this beautiful and it's this personal reality and experience that we have as Christians, each and every single one of us. But see this. Do you see how Jesus teaches us to pray? He doesn't say, my Father. He says, our Father. What does he mean by our Father? What difference does, does that make? Well, the first thing he means, and this is absolutely brilliant, is that We share our Father along with Jesus. He's our big brother. We share the same Father with him. In fact, you could say that we come to God the Father with and through him. It's through being united to Christ by faith that we become children of God. So we get the rights and the privileges that he has as the good and perfect Son of God that we enjoy and we live off. And so we say our Father along with Jesus. See, we need to be careful not to cheapen this idea of, of, uh, uh, or, or abuse this amazing reality of being children of God by talking or suggesting as if it's something that people have uh, and that every person enjoys and experiences by right. I hear this quite a lot from Christians. It's, it's something only instead that we get in and through believing the good news of Jesus. You see, it's so tempting, isn't it, to, I think, because we want to share with people how inclusive the good news of, of Jesus is, that, that 
we give the impression, or even say outright, that we're all children of God together. All people everywhere are children of God. But that's just not true. This is a privilege for the family of Jesus. This is, this is those who are, in, who are in relationship with Jesus through faith who get this, this honour of this relationship with him. Yes, we're all created in God's image, all people everywhere, so we have all the same worth and dignity and value. Yes, we, we share the same experience of humanity, which we have in common. And yes, Jesus has come for all types of people, indeed all people. But the good news that we offer to people is that though nobody has this intimate relationship with God by right or automatically through Jesus, it is on offer to us. It is a free gift which all people can receive through faith in him. It is through knowing Jesus that we get to say, Our Father. It's through knowing Jesus that we have this new relationship with God. So Our Father means we share it with Jesus, but it leads us to the second thing, and that is that we share one Father together with each other. So, you know, when Jesus teaches us to pray, it's interesting how he uses all ours and we's, not I's and me's. There's no individual language in this prayer. It's all about us together. And though it's true for each of us personally, it's something we share. So prayer for the Christian is intensely personal. Jesus elsewhere commands us and expects that we will pray in secret and in private and alone by ourselves. But we can't get away from the fact that it's something we share together and we receive together. And so as children of God, we join our voices in prayer to God together. Having children has really helped me to just capture, I guess, some of the the reality of this. Um, Some of you, many of you would have heard this before, but I I think it's just a helpful way of of thinking about it. My my little one-year-old boy, Eben, who's... um, often causes havoc here on, on, on a Sunday. He's just starting to, to develop his speech at the moment, and, and you, you maybe have heard him kind of basically shouting uh, in audible groans uh, as he just kind of babbles and shouts, and often at me as, as his dad, and he's learning to talk to me, and he's just kind of shouting in his own special way, and it's, it can be a beautiful thing. But let's face it, he's not very good at talking, is he? Um, he can't really get his point across because he's so young. And yet, he is learning to talk, in large part, from his older sisters. His older sisters, who, who talk to me much more intelligibly, and so I can understand, and can say things, and can communicate. And he's seeing and observing them talking to their daddy, and he's learning how to talk to daddy, therefore. And he's copying. And actually, fact, his sisters can really help him, because sometimes they know what he's asking me for. And so they're like, oh, daddy, he wants that toy. And so they come to me on his behalf, and I can meet his needs. And over time, he will learn to copy them and learn from them and speak for himself and relate to me as his father. You see, praying together as a church, praying together as children of God is vital. And it is so helpful and it is such a privilege. It is the chief way that we put our faith in Jesus into action together. A a Christian from Germany back in the uh, the time of the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, calls it the most normal thing in the Christian life to pray together. It's the most normal thing that Christians do. It's to pray to God together. And so like brothers and sisters, we can learn from and with one another how to relate to and to communicate to our heavenly daddy. And guys, we're a gift to one another in that. We're not, we're not, we shouldn't be scared of praying with one another. 
praying for one another, praying in front of one another, because we're, we're a gift as we, as, as we experience that. I mean, for me personally, one of the greatest and the most blessed experiences of Christian fellowship, when I feel most deeply loved and cared for, isn't when people give me really generous and kind gifts. But I do like them, so uh, don't hold back. It isn't when I get encouragements from people, though that is desperately needed. It isn't even by the acts of service that people offer, though they do lighten the load. But the thing that personally most encourages and sustains me is when people have prayed for and with me. And they've done that with love and compassion. They've entered into my experience. And they've come alongside me to bring and raise that up to God's. And they've just sat prayerfully with me for a while. That is a gift that we have and we can give to one another. Often people have the experience where they, and I'm sure many of you have had this, you don't feel able to pray because of maybe just situations or what's going on in in your life and your heart and your soul. You can't pray yourself, but you know you've been sustained and you've been upheld and kept going by the prayers of others around you, both those you've heard and those that have been prayed when you're not there. Sometimes we can't find the words to pray ourselves, but others can pray them for us. Jesus here gives us something that binds us together. Our Father. It binds us together. It doesn't pull us apart. It gives us something where, uh, that we can bless and love one another with, uh, and we can learn to pray together, our Father. In Gospel Families, this term, this, we're going to be doing a lot of praying together. We're going to talk about it, yes, but we're going to be doing a lot of just doing it. Blessing and serving one another. This is where prayer starts. Our Father. But secondly, it's our Father in heaven. God is powerful and perfect. He's not only personal and present, but also powerful and perfect. And that's because God is in the highest place of all power and perfection, heaven itself. You know, it's one thing to have a loving Father who understands, who cares, who who draws near, who loves It's entirely another thing to have a father who does that and has all of the power, all of the authority. He occupies the highest office in the universe and can follow through on all of his promises. It would be no good if we had a heavenly father who was really lovely and kind but ultimately powerless, would it? But we don't. We have one who is powerful and perfect. Here's Here's a great picture which I think just taps into this idea. This is JFK, the, the great American president in the Oval Office of the White House. Here he is, the leader of the free world, the most powerful man on earth in his day, with the most authority any single person could have, sat at the desk from where that authority is exercised. This is the, 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 some ancient desk, I can't remember what it's called, but it goes from president to president in the Oval Office. Uh, and there he is at the place of all authority, if you like, in the world. And sat under that desk is his little boy, JFK Jr. Because for him, it's just dad. And he's just in dad's office. And he sits there playing with his little truck or his toys or whatever, pulling his dad's trousers. And he just sits with him. See, if you're a Christian, I'm not sure what situation you need to remember this for today. But I know you do need to remember this as do I. Your Heavenly Father is in control. He is in control of all things. Heaven is the place from which he rules and from which he reigns over all things. And it is to heaven 
that our prayers rise up before him. In fact, it is in heaven that, spiritually speaking, you now belong. It's like you're a kid playing with your toys under the throne of God, if you want to borrow that picture. I know Christians can sometimes think or feel that if God is truly in control of everything and so powerful, why does he need us to pray? What's the point of praying? It doesn't really change anything if God's in control of anything anyway. But listen, there's not one place in the Bible where that move is made. In fact, the opposite move is repeatedly made. Because God is in control of all things, because God is the sovereign God over all things, who sits in heaven on the throne, well, when we really get that, It inspires and it draws us out in prayer. It emboldens our prayer. It enthuses us and leads us into prayer. You see, prayer isn't pointless, but it is in fact very powerful. Not because of us, not because of our words or the way we say it or anything in our prayer, but because our Father is in heaven. I don't know if you remember back in Revelation 8, last term, when we were in the middle of Revelation, amidst all of the madness and the mayhem of everything going on in heaven, there was this moment in Revelation 8 of stillness in heaven and on earth. And there was this moment of silence as the prayers of God's people were kind of floated up before God with, with this incense. And then they are responded to from heaven with this powerful action and authority on earth. You see, prayer isn't only an invitation to uh, experience this relationship with God, but it is an invitation to line ourselves up with what God is doing in the world, to to go boldly and confidently where, if you like, angels fear to tread. It's a chance for me and you to come before God, the God of all things, and to line up my thinking and, and my requests and my thoughts and my desires with God's thinking and his thoughts and his desires and his plans and purposes in all things. And so we don't come to God to tell him stuff he doesn't know. In fact, Jesus says just before this that God knows what you're going to say before you say. God knows your needs before you ask for them. And we're not trying to get God to change his mind, but out of love and respect, it's us submitting ourselves our wills, and our lives to God, who is in heaven. And so in prayer, we draw confidently into our Heavenly Father's awesome presence. Jesus opened the way up for us to do that, but we do so humbly. and recognize, God, you're in heaven, and here I am on earth. And so I let my words be few. This is the God that we pray to. And I just want to finish with this final thought that's essential for the prayer life of the Christian. And that's that God being in heaven doesn't just assure us of his power, but also of his perfection. See, the thought of God as a father, I know, is loaded for so many of us. And this could be for a whole host of reasons due to our our experiences of uh, our earthly fathers. Some of us, we never knew our dad, or we did know our dad or a father figure who abused and abused us, or a dad who was emotionally distant, or one who demanded that we win his affection, or, or a dad that is caused and is causing such great pain and heartache for us in our adult life, or maybe a dad that has been taken from us by death. Even those of us who, who've had fathers who have made a pretty good go at it, given their limitations and weaknesses, all have a mixed bag of experience here. And so we carry with us, whether we realize it or not, a whole load of pain and tenderness and sometimes confusion 
in our hearts around fatherhoods. And what can happen, therefore, is we read that into how we think and feel about God. Is God just a souped-up version of my dad with the same failings and weaknesses? Is he going to just let me down in the same ways? Hurt me in similar ways? Or maybe we've just closed off that whole part of our heart and our life as a coping mechanism because, quite frankly, it's too painful. Well, listen, God is your Father in heaven, and therefore, he is perfect. And so this is an invitation and an opportunity to open that up that part of your heart again and to experience your perfect heavenly Father who has no shadow or darkness, your perfect Father who is in heaven, where there is no weakness or failings that beset him. This is a Father who has been a perfect Father since before the world began. Since before time, he has been a loving father of a perfect son. And so now he fathers us from heaven, a place untainted by sin, unlimited by weakness, undamaged by brokenness. And he is good. He is good. And so children of God, there is nothing for us to fear here. This is God, our father in heaven. And he alone is good. And he is with us as a loving and kind father. And so prayer starts, our father in heaven. This is who our prayers come before. This is where it starts. This is the whole context and the the whole situation, the whole life of prayer. What a gift. What solid ground on which we stand, whatever is coming at us at this moment in time. What hope we have at the start of 2022. The good news is today, you don't need to look to yourself for power to change, to make your life better, to make a better go of it this year than last year. You don't, there's no point in trusting in some impersonal force out there to be good to you. No, but as a child of God in heaven, as a child of God in heaven, will you make much of that? Will you enjoy that? Will you receive that and delight to respond to his gift to come. His gift. To receive this gift of prayer. Let's take another moment of silence for each of us just to respond to that in our hearts. In a moment we're going to sing in response, but let's just pray before God. God, he hears the thoughts of our hearts in our own hearts and minds.